And she wrapped him in clothes, it says, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And the Bible records through Luke all these simple details about the birth of Christ. And it's understated, really, if you stop and think about it. It's occurred, you might say, obscurely in a little stable. The Bible pretty much tells us that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of the Most High God, the Son of David, the Christ, the Lord, the Savior, here he was laying in this feeding trough. This is the most important event in human history. And yet it occurred, you could say, in the most distasteful of circumstances. It really occurred in obscurity. History tells us Caesar didn't know that it happened. Uh, The governor, Cornarius, didn't know that it happened. Herod didn't know that it happened. The chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, the elders, the Pharisees, none of them knew that it happened. The elite in the religious community during Jesus' time didn't know that it happened. Really, nobody knew that it happened. Can you imagine God coming down to earth, taking on a human body, and nobody was there, nobody knew. Even the people who were in the stable when it happened really didn't understand what was happening. The inhabitants of earth had absolutely no idea what went on that day in Bethlehem. But heaven knew. Heaven knew what happened. And it didn't take long for them to respond. It tells us there in verse 8. And in verse 11. This glorious portion of scripture. There has been born for you a savior. And you know we think of Jesus coming to earth as our Savior, and we have to understand what he's saving us from. He didn't come to save you from your meaninglessness or your purpose in life. He didn't come to save you from your anxiety or your worry. He, he didn't come to save you from your poverty, you could say. He didn't even come to save you from your lack of fulfillment in life. You could even say that Jesus didn't even come to save you from your troubles. Really, there's no guarantee in this life that you're going to be rescued from any of those things because we live a life in this sin-stained world and that's just part of our, our lives, troubles and tribulations, trials. Well, what did Jesus come to save us from? Jesus came to save you really from the eternal wrath of God. He came to save your soul from the eternal wrath of God. That's the issue that each one of us has to address. It's not that Jesus saves you from anything in this life particular. Because you're still going to struggle with all kinds of troubles and struggles in your life. You're going to have a measure of unfulfillment in this life at some point. You may even find life to be less than you want it to be. Not up to the ideal standard that you have chosen. Maybe it's a little more painful for you than you can bear. And there's no guarantee 
that that will change in this life. You say, well, that sounds kind of depressing. Well, it depends on your perspective. Because what did Jesus come to save his people from? The Bible tells us what? They're what? They're sins. They're sins. From the penalty of their sins, first of all, which is eternal hell. Dave spoke of that in the closing verse there that he read this morning. Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God. He came to save us from the power of our sin. How did he do that? He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Spirit of God so that we can be victorious over sins in our life. And finally, the Bible says that he will save us from the presence of sin. When we leave this world and we live with him in eternal glory, that's the good news, right? That he would save his people from their sins and therefore save them from the wrath of God, which is eternal, eternal wrath in hell forever. A lot of people think they're going to go to hell and party with their friends. No. Unfortunately, that's not what hell is going to be like. The Bible describes hell as a dark place. You're not going to be able to see anything. Gnashing of teeth, which indicates that there is extreme punishment and displeasure and torment in a place called hell for all eternity. That death is not just some spiritual death. It's unmeaning to us. It's not just separation from God. But it's eternal death, separation from God's presence forever in the place of torment and punishment. However, you will still have the wrath of God, the presence of God in his wrath for all eternity to deal with. Well, the child, the Christ, was born to save us from that, to save us from the wrath of God. I mean, should we celebrate Christmas? Yes. We should, by all means. You know, some people say, well, I don't put up lights. Well, you should put up lights. You should decorate. You should have a festive time. It's a celebration time. How should we celebrate on that great day is the question. And the first and obvious answer to that question is the wonderful way to celebrate Christian is what? You should celebrate Christmas by becoming a Christian. You should celebrate Christmas by becoming a Christian. I mean, that's why Jesus came to earth. He was born to be what? A savior. A savior from sin. And until you can call him my savior, you will never fully really understand what Christmas is all about. It's just a festive holiday once a year. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you, you would like to become a Christian. You would like to put your faith, your trust in Christ. Well, you know what? I'll give you three basic, simple propositions that's needed for someone to express faith in Christ. First of all, you have to realize that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. There's nobody here in this room that's perfect. Pope's not perfect. Nobody on earth is perfect. We've all been tainted by sin. The Bible said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You have to come to that point first. You have to realize, yeah, maybe, maybe you're not as, as bad as Adolf Hitler or, or some other murderer. 
But you know what? We've all broken God's standard. We've all, in some form or fashion, broken his law. Maybe we told a lie. Maybe we took something irrespective of its value. Maybe we blasphemed the name of God. All those things are, are obvious sins before a holy God. So you have to admit you're a sinner. Secondly, as a sinner, you have to admit you need a Savior. If you're not willing to admit that you need a Savior, you will not be saved. It's like drowning in a pool, and the lifeguard's there, but you're not crying out for help. So you admit you're a sinner, and you you admit that you need a Savior. And thirdly, the simple proposition is you have to realize that Christ is that Savior. Christ is the Savior that God sent. There is no other. There's no backup plan. There's no back door. And if you agree with all those propositions, if you agree with all those statements, you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and Christ is that Savior, then I would ask you this. Are you willing to trust by faith Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you are, you can be saved right now in the quietness of this moment. It's not something you have to do physically. It's something you do in your own heart. You cry out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, save me. It's simple as reaching out in faith and believing what God has said about his son. He's not going to ask what kind of church you went to. He's not going to ask how many churches you went to or how many homeless people you fed or how many prayers you knew or how many verses you memorized. He's going to say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? And those who trust in Christ the Bible says, are saved forever, for all eternity. There's no expiration date on our salvation. Do you understand this? It's a wonderful truth. We don't have to go to bed at night worrying, oh man, I wonder what sin I did today. Is that going to disqualify me? No. We are saved for all eternity when you come to Christ as the Savior. And that's where you have to begin to understand what Christmas is all about. The angels came and they proclaimed the good news to the humblest of people. We, we talked about this the other night. The, the, the shepherds, right? The, the social economic ladder way, way down. These, there are these shepherds and they're, they're the outcasts of society. They were unskilled. They were uneducated. They were untrained. The only thing they knew was how to shepherd sheep. It was so bad they weren't even allowed to give any testimony in a court if they witnessed something, because they, they were just considered so untrustworthy. They were the lowest of the low, you might say. And it was amazing. It's specifically to them that this heavenly host, this heavenly message, appears. Ignoring all the other great religious leaders, ignoring all the other incredible educators of the day, they came to this Simple group of people, these shepherds. And what's the Lord saying when he did that? He's saying, you know what, I'm, I'm coming to those who are humble. To those who are humble. He always said he would come to the humble. Way back in Isaiah, he said that he would come to the poor. First Corinthians, Paul says that there would be not many noble, not many mighty but it would be to the poor and the base and the weak that God comes. See, the shepherds proved illustration of that. 
Now, can you imagine the situation of the shepherds? They're out there watching their, their sheep. I mean, it's a pretty plain and mundane life, if you stop and think about it, commonplace. It's not a whole lot to do. Maybe you see a shooting star once in a while. You're laying there at night, all night watching these sheep. And all of a sudden, all heaven breaks loose. Can you imagine? You just had an angelic messenger, Gabriel, come and tell you that the Messiah has been born. Christ, the Savior of the world, God in human flesh. The angel then was accompanied by a whole heavenly host of angels who came down and gave you a taste of heaven. And there they are, glorifying God and and praising God for the salvation that he brought to earth through the Messiah. And this is all beyond anything imaginable, especially to someone like a shepherd. I mean, I can't imagine what their minds were thinking. The question I want to ask you today is, how did they respond? How did they react? What did they do when they saw this incredible sight before them? And that's what we're going to look at as we look at verses 15 through 21 here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And it serves as a good illustration of how people respond savingly even today to the Gospel. So I would ask you to stand in honor of God's Word as I read these verses for us. And then you can have a, we'll pray and you can have a seat. Luke chapter 2 verses 15 to 21 it says, When the angels went out from among them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, verse 19, treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. And at the end of eight eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Father, we ask you to bless this word to our hearts and minds. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. See, in the most literal sense, this passage describes various responses to people at the birth of Christ. Various responses. Our text describes four responses, specifically, of those who first heard the news that Christ had been born. And each of these tells a different response. And you put all the responses together, and it tells us, as believers especially, how we should celebrate Christmas. Not just in December, mind you, but every day of the year. Spurgeon has a wonderful sermon on this text called Holy Work for Christmas. James Montgomery Boyce has another sermon called How to Celebrate Christmas. And the first thing here we see proclaiming, verse 17, when they had seen him, when the shepherds had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told told them about this child. 
So Luke tells us that the shepherds spread the word. They proclaimed the word of God that was received by them. And as I said, shepherds were base, the base elements of society. They were very simple people. And that makes the story even more remarkable. First they heard and they saw this, this spectacular angelic revelation happen right before them. Then they, they went to Bethlehem, it says, and they discovered the Savior of the world there in that manger, in a feeding trough, if you will. Outdoor barn, perhaps. Some people believe it was even a, a portion of, of earth was removed from a hillside, kind of like a cave. The birth and the revelation didn't seem to go together. I mean, you're, the revelation said, well, God's sending this child to earth, and then they get there, and it's like, this is what they find? Really? Yet, all of this was from the hand of God. On that night in Bethlehem, outside of Joseph and Mary, the only people in the world, the only people in the world who knew that Christ had been born were these simple shepherds, because God told them. This is after 400 silent years when God didn't speak through the prophets. Now he speaks through these angels to these lowly shepherds on a remote hillside outside a tiny little village. I mean, you might say it wasn't the most likely way to win the world. I would not have done it this way if it would have been up to me. I don't think you would have either. You probably would have planned, hey, you know what? Let's have him born in Jerusalem. I mean, this is the center of everything. Let's have him born to a wealthy family. And let's have his birth attended by the high and the mighty. And that way, no one would doubt that the Son of God had come to earth. But what does the Bible tell us? God's ways are what? They're not ours. His ways are not our ways. They're far above our ways. He chose to reveal the news to these simple shepherds first and foremost. And after their initial fear, we're told in the text, and that's understandable, if an angel appears to you, you're not just going to have a nice little you know, fireside chat. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to be fearful because it's a holy being. But after their initial fear, it tells us that they responded in faith. What did they do? They, they believed the angel. And it says they immediately went to Bethlehem with haste, and they found the baby Jesus. I mean, think about it. This is their job. This is their livelihood. They're leaving a flock of sheep behind. <laughs> and they left. They abandoned that because there was something more pressing They found the baby Jesus, and they realized everything was exactly the way the angel said it would be. And what did they then do? It says they told everyone. They told everyone they met about what they had seen and what they had heard. I mean, I was thinking this week, I I wonder if I would be would have been that obedient. If I would have been willing to leave whatever God had doing, had me doing and just go to this 
this birth, would I have believed what the angel said? Would we have been so quick to tell the story or we would be fearful of maybe what people might think? You're crazy. You're just a shepherd. Go back to your sheep. See, they did what all Christians should do when you stop and think about it. They told others what, what they had seen and what they had heard. That's what we're called to do. They spread the news about Jesus. That's what evangelism is. It's, it's no more difficult than that. It's telling the good news about Jesus Christ to someone else who's yet to hear. What the shepherds did, we can all do. We're all instructed to do. You don't need any education. You don't need any authority. You don't need any permission. You don't need even any special training to witness for Jesus Christ. What do you do? You simply tell what you know to be true. You talk about what Jesus has done for you. You tell who he is and what he has done for you. You share the story. You, you share your, we call it testimony, with others. And then what do you do? You invite them. Hey, you, you need to follow Christ too. You need a Savior too. Because good news is meant for sharing It's not meant for hoarding. We don't take the good news of Christ and hide it. That's what the shepherds did. They shared the good news. And that's what we're called to do. And that's the first way that we can all celebrate Christmas. We can proclaim, right, the message of Christ. We do it with our lips. We do it with our lives. Secondly, look at verse 18. It says, And all who heard it, heard the message that the shepherds shared, were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Amazed is kind of a mild word here to describe what the reaction to the shepherds was. The story itself would sound incredible. I mean, if I came in here and said, yeah, I saw this angel, and I mean, you would go, whoa. And especially the part about hearing the, the choir, you know, the angelic host, in the middle of the night, not to mention finding the Son of God in a feeding trough. And to think that God chose these lowly shepherds to be the first evangelists of, of the message of Christ. Well, there's two forms of amazement here. The first has to do with a temporary fascination over unusual turn of events that, that they, they encountered. You know, if I told you this morning, hey, you know what? I know that the 49ers are going to go to the Super Bowl and they're going to win. You say, yeah, well, that's kind of a long shot. But if it actually happened, you would come back and say, well, that was a pretty good call. Right? But it wouldn't be miraculous. Other teams that have had kind of a, a chance of getting there got there and actually won. So it's happened in history before. So it wouldn't be a supernatural event in the literal sense. It's unusual, but not miraculous. But there's a second kind of amazement here. And you could call that second kind of amazement, the word I, I use here is wondering, holy wonder, you could call it. It, it's, it. it comes into play when it's kind of a sense of awe. When, when you know that 
God is at work in your life and in your world, in the deepest sense of all the acts of God are, are really grounds for holy wonder. Think about it with me. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Right? There was nothing. And what did God do? He spoke. And the stars were put in place. He spoke and the earth was formed. He spoke everything into existence. Talk about awe. Talk about holy wonder. He spoke and the earth took to its orbit. Rabbits and geese and bunnies and everything began to scurry about after his words were spoken. He speaks and it happens. Then he takes a lump of dirt and he forms man. Then he takes the rib and he forms woman. I mean, talk about holy wonder. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, you encounter something in every verse that's truly wonderful. And they continue all the way through the Bible. God's holy works of wonder continue throughout the scriptures. In Revelation 19, we're told in verse 16 that when Christ returns, he will have written on his robe and on his thigh. I wonder if that's considered a tattoo. I don't know. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what's going to be on his robe and on his thigh. When Handel wrote that hallelujah chorus, when Christ returns, he will establish his kingdom on earth and all earthly kings will bow before him. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 15 says, all kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. That verse describes the reaction, really, of the kings of the earth, the high, the mighty, the rulers, when they finally stand before Christ at his second coming. I mean, these are powerful individuals, according to the world. But you know what? When they stand before Christ, all their jabbering, all their boastful talk, all their prideful arrogance will come to an end. The majestic presence of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Bible says will shut their mouths. They won't even be able to speak. In that day, what they have not seen will be revealed to them, and what they have not fully understood, they will understand. The contemporary English translation of the Bible translates Isaiah 52, 15, this way. Kings will be silent as they bow in wonder. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The word wonder puts a slightly different spin on it, doesn't it? It brings us back to Luke 2, 18. When Christ came for the first time, after his death, the magi, the kings from the east, they brought gifts. We sang about that this morning to the newborn king of the Jews. They brought gold because he was a king. They brought frankincense because he was a priest. And they brought myrrh because he was going to die for the sins of the world. It tells us those kings, when they were in his presence, they bowed in wonder. 
And in the days to come, all the kings of the earth, everyone, will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be silent before the victorious Son of God. That's what we have to look forward to. Christ, Christmas is indeed a cause for holy awe, for holy wonder. I mean, think about it. How, how can it be that, that God, a holy God, can become a man? That will keep you up at night. How can a king be born in a feeding trough? How could the world ignore his coming? What sort of God comes into the world like this? Well, this is amazing. This causes us to wonder at Christmas time. I mean, if you manage to go through the Christmas season without ever pausing to, to wonder at all about anything because you're too busy, then you really missed the reason we celebrate Christmas in the first place. How can you regain that sense of, of wonder? I think part of it is by watching children. I mean, everybody seems so busy around the holidays, but you know what? Children can still be amazed by a simple story of a baby in Bethlehem. And we should be sure to teach our children why Jesus came, and we should teach them the wonder of Christmas over and over again. Not just proclaiming and wondering, but also, thirdly, pondering. It says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered, pondered them in her heart. That word treasured has the idea of counting. It's, it's an accounting term. It's kind of like Mary's making a list. You know, we do this in our own lives, do we not? At the end of a busy day, usually you'll sit down and say, okay, what did I forget? I want to make sure I didn't forget anything. We just went through that with Christmas. I'm sure you had a Christmas list, a shopping list. Okay, check, check. Got this, got that. That's what that word is. But the word pondered takes it even further. It goes, it goes even deeper than, than wondering. Pondering talks about taking those events that you've listed out in your own memory and then go beneath the surface of each event and think about it. Try to understand what it means, why it happened the way it did. I mean, no doubt Mary went back to what happened to Zacharias and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. She probably thought about that. I'm sure she thought about what Gabriel had told her and, and then also how Joseph responded when she told him, hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and then about that amazing dream that Joseph had. I'm sure she pondered all those things. She must have recalled the long journey, arduous journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And all the events of the birth itself, including the, the surprise visit from these shepherds. I mean, she certainly had plenty to think about. At some point, she must have wondered, why, why did God choose me for this task? And I'm sure she pondered what was ahead for her newborn son. I mean, you can't help but ponder if you're a mother and you're given the task to raise God. I mean, think about that, ladies. But pondering is hard work. 
It is. It's hard work. It, and that's why a lot of us never get around to it. We're too busy. We're too quick. We're, we're just moving on to something else. We, we, we fail to ponder things in our lives. And yet, you know what? I find that at the end of the year, as we close out this year, now is a great time to practice some pondering. To sit down and, and make a list. You know what? Over the past 12 months, how has God worked in my life? What has God done? What are, what are some of the trials that I've been through? What are some of the blessings that I've had? As you look forward to 2022, set aside, I, I challenge you, set aside at least an hour of uninterrupted time. Now, some of you who have families and children, that's going to take some cooperation. You're going to have to do it. You know, one watches the kids and then, you know, take turns, whatever it, whatever it takes. But get it done. Find a quiet place. Turn off the TV, the radio, the CD player, the iPhone, the iPad, and begin with prayer and ask God to show you the things he wants you to learn as we begin this new year together. It's even good to make a, a top 10 list of things that had happened in your life in 2021. Whether they're good, they're bad, whatever. They could be victories, they could be defeats, they could be blessings. And as you look at that list, ask God, what, is there a pattern here you want me to see? Are you trying to teach me something? Because I want to learn. I want to grow in my walk with Christ as we embrace this new year together. What is God teaching us? What lessons seem to come up over and over again? Because maybe if God's bringing those lessons up over and over again, maybe we're not learning them. <laughs> And then focus on the Lord. What have you learned about God's character this past year? Ask the Lord for insight. Ask him, hey, where, where, do, where are you leading me in this year to come? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? Make that a personal prayer to the Lord. See, Mary pondered what God has, had been doing in her life. And that's what we need to do. We need to practice that. And lastly, not just proclaiming and wondering and pondering, but lastly, in verse 20, it speaks of glorifying. It says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen, heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That final verse tells us that these shepherds, these humble men, from a hillside somewhere, caring for sheep, were profoundly changed. They were transformed by what they had experienced. I mean, you can say, what a, what a difference a day makes, right? Because that's just how quick this happened. On the day before Christ was born, where were they at? They're out in the fields with their sheep. And on the day after he was born, where are they at? They're back to the shields with their back in the fields with their sheep. Only this time their hearts were filled with praise to God. James Montgomery Boyce points out that the word glorify comes from glory, obviously, which originally meant to have an opinion. 
than to have a good opinion. And ultimately to estimate the true worth of something. In other words, you glorify something when you recognize its true value. That's what that word means. And so to say that these shepherds glorified God means that having seen Jesus in a manger, they must have just been overwhelmed with, by God's power, by God's grace, by his goodness, by his wisdom. And this amazing miracle of the, the incarnation that they saw play out before them. They, they simply couldn't stop talking about it. And you note where they did this. It tells us right there in the verse. The text doesn't say that they glorified God in the temple, does it? They wouldn't have been welcomed in the temple, frankly. There's nothing wrong with glorifying God in the temple, mind you, but they didn't do it there. What's it say? It says they returned. They returned. They went back to where they came from. Back to that tiring, unappreciated, smelly job of watching sheep. Caring for sheep night after night. I mean, this is all within about 48 hours, if not even less. They were back right to the first place where the angel found them. Having seen the babe in the manger, they looked at each other and they said, okay, it's time to go back to work. <laughs> we can't abandon these sheep forever. We've got to get back out there and protect these sheep. And so they did. And the message here for us is, so must we. <laughs> so must we. See, Christmas eventually ends for all of us, does it not? It ends. Every year it ends. We look forward to it. We anticipate it for months, right? You decorate, you do all the stuff. But sooner or later, some sooner than later, but sooner or later you take down the tree, right? You pack away all the ornaments. You either take the gifts that were given to you and you use them or you take them back to the store and exchange them or whatever you're going to do. Pretty soon the kids are back in school and before you know it, what? Life is right back to normal. It's right back to normal. It's like it never even happened. The question is, will we be changed? Will we be changed by Christmas, by the message of Christmas? Or are we just going to go back to business as usual in 2022? See, for these shepherds, for these humble men, life would never, ever be the same. They were transformed Yeah, you know what? Their, their work was the same. They had the same smelly job they had before, but something was different. They were different. They went back to their work with a new zeal, a new joy, a new love for God in their hearts and for others. This time of year, you hear some people say, well, I wish the Christmas spirit would last all year. You know, because around Christmas time, everybody gets sentimental. You set aside your, your misunderstandings and all that, and you all come together and, you know, kumbaya kind of a moment. And they want that all year long. They want that kind of Christmas spirit, they call it. 
They speak of it as if it's some kind of magic or something. If you're talking about the tree and the gifts and the mistletoe and chestnuts open, roasting on an open fire, all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, that's sentimental stuff. And that comes once a year. That passes quickly. But the greater truth of Christmas, the greater truth is meant for our hearts to embrace all year long. I mean, wouldn't you like Christmas to last all year long? (laughs) Some of you are saying yes, some of you are saying no. It can. If you do what the shepherds did. If you go back, if you're willing to go back from where you came from. Go back to your office, go back to your factory, go back to your classroom, go back to your neighborhood, your job, your family duties, whatever it is. Go back to the humdrum of daily routine. But as you go back, how are you going to go back? Go back glorifying and praising him. That's what the shepherds did. See, Christmas didn't change their circumstances. Not one bit. They were still the downcast of society. They still weren't allowed to testify in court. They still had to deal with smelly sheep all the time. But what did it do? It changed them deeply. And it changed them profoundly, you could say. And because it changed them, it changed the way they approached their daily work. They still had to deal with the cranky sheep. Sometimes they had to step in sheep manure. (laughs) But it didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter. Why? Because they had seen the Christ child. Let me ask you, have you seen Jesus this past Christmas? I mean, have you really seen Christ? Because if you have then we're called to go back to what we were doing before. And we take the memory of of Christmas with us. And we go back and we glorify and we praise God as we go about our daily routines. And as you do that, you're going to find your days are filled with joy. They're filled with wonder. Let's follow this inspiring message How do we celebrate Christmas now that it's past? Simple. You proclaim the good news that Christ has come to family, to friends, to co-workers, to the world. You wonder at God's amazing plan. Some of you here this morning are on on the edge of a whole new life opening up before you. What a wondrous thing. You don't know what the future holds, but God does. Proclaiming, wondering, pondering the works of God. Really looking at what God is doing in your life deeply. And then glorifying God in our daily lives. See, if you start where you are, God will be with you. That's the message of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. If you practice these simple four things, you can, you can have the wonder of Christmas all, all year long. All year long. And be an incredible influence for the Lord, for his glory. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for our worship. We thank you 
and we praise you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the picture that we've seen here in these, these simple shepherds after Christ was born, the day after Christmas. And Mary and the obedience of Joseph and all that we've seen these past couple weeks, they give us an illustration of, of what, is, what it means to come to you, to believe the gospel, having heard it and then responding to it, taking action and go to be with Christ, embracing him as your true Lord and Savior. And after you do that, we're called to witness, we're called to, to go out and proclaim the message of Christ to others. We thank you, Lord, that you've done a work in our own hearts. And we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that would desire to come to Christ, that would desire to put their faith, their trust in, in a Lord and Savior who will save them from their sin, it's simple as acknowledging that you're a sinner, acknowledging you need a Savior, and acknowledging that Christ is that Savior. You pray a simple prayer, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Forgive my sin. When you pray that with a sincere heart, God will do just that. He will transform you. He will save you. And that salvation will be forevermore, for all eternity. Because it's not based on your performance. It's based on the grace of God. As believers, as we go out into this lost and dying world once again, Father, as we look to this new year, a lot of things on the horizon, it doesn't look good. But Lord, the one thing that is good is that you have saved us. And that we can take this message of salvation to the lost. And maybe people are a little more open to a Savior when things are going a little rough and it's a little harder to live here on this earth. And so I pray that we'd be faithful to take the message of Christ to the ends of the earth, to the ends of our area of influence, whether it's our job, our college, our neighborhood, that somehow we would be able to proclaim and live the message of Christ. We thank you. And we praise you. Pray you bless our time across the way this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll close with one last, one last song.